When I was growing up, uh, Ann Murray was uh, a singer that from Australia that was well thought of. But I thought, but I thought that people outgrew her. But it seems like a lot of our members have been listening to Ann Murray lately. Spread your tiny wings and fly away. <laughs> Leaving the snow country and flying away. So, I'm glad that you're here. Mrs. Humphrey always tells me that I look at the people who aren't here and I don't appreciate the people that are here, and, she, and th that's true. But I'm glad you're here. We're going to um, begin in verse 16 of the 28th chapter, and we've been talking about church doctrine, and we've been in a section concerning authority. In verse 16, the 11 disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And you find when you read in 1 Corinthians that those disciples were set in the church during Jesus' own personal ministry. And so they're church people that he's talking to. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And in our past lessons, we pointed out there that the word all power in verse 18 means authority. And so he's talking about authority and designating that authority. And so if we would make a little chart about authority, we, we talked about how that, that Christ, uh, Christ says that he's the head of the church. We find that all authority comes from him. We know that Christ went back to heaven and the Holy Spirit remains here. And so it's not necessarily like the Holy Spirit underneath him, but they're both equal. And then we have church authority, as he speaks here to them, the authority to carry out what he's commanded. There's no, there's no ability to legislate. And then underneath that, but actually working with it, I don't know how to diagram that, is the pastors. And the pastors are uh, in authority also, but it's not uh, it's not uh, a king, it's not a dictator type of authority. And we spent a good deal of time last week in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, where it says uh, where it says submit to those uh, in authority over you, and. Uh, I'm not quoting it right. Hebrews 13, 17, and it can kind of get convoluted. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls 
And so uh, it's the word obey, we pointed out to you that it has the idea of persuasion. And in fact, when that Greek word is translated, I don't think I spelled that right, but that's all right. Uh, <clears throat> when we, when we, it's far more many times translated persuasion. Where did I hear persuasion? I don't know. <laughs> it uh, it's, it's, uh, means, it's, uh, means to not that, you know, I'm the boss, listen to me. I'm the one that God's speaking to, telling you what to do. But it's, it's to persuade them. And, and, and the obedience should be because he's speaking uh, God's word. And, and he should expect obedience because God expects obedience. Obey those that have the rule and submit. The submission, the submission is not uh, to the pastor, but it's to uh, the, the, uh, the God's word that the pastor is teaching. And so that sometimes that gets way out of control and way out of idea and the pastor becomes the Lord over the flock. And, and actually Peter really warned about that. He says that, that, that a pastor is to be an example and not as a Lord. That, that was a, he, he, the Lord must have saw that to be a potential problem where he could uh, get out of line. And, and, and what we're going to find this morning is that all of this, all of this, the Christ, the Holy Spirit, the church, and the pastor, <clears throat> that it's not different factions. A church shouldn't be where the membership and the pastor are bucking heads and going against each other, uh, but, it's, but it's a team. That, 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 that God's work is a teamwork of trying to get, get his will done. And the most important thing is God's will. Uh, we looked at this. I'll, we'll go back and look at it again. But what I want to do is I want to show you how the pastor, the congregation, and the Holy Spirit all work as a team. And uh, go, go back to, uh, uh, go over to, Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 6, and verse 1, and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration or the great hold over after the day of Pentecost. Many people were stayed there in Jerusalem that had come from foreign countries, all the Jews going back uh, over the Middle East, back to, and even Africa, traveling, going back to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it's not right or reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among yourselves seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, which we may appoint over this business. And so, he, the, he, you can see here that, that the leadership, the pastors, the apostles here, 
that, there, that, the, lead, that, that the leadership is involved, uh, but they didn't just say, you, we're going to pick this and this, but the, and the leadership, and the leadership gives guidance. It tells what kind of people to look for. And it says, and the leadership said that we may appoint, that we may appoint, and that we could be both the church, but definitely, both the church and the pastor, but definitely uh, the leadership is involved. And you see that that the, the church was, and, and wherefore, looking out among yourselves, and it says uh, that we may appoint all this, but we will give ourselves continue to prayer and to minister the word, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, that the multitude was in agreement. And so they choose the men that set here, and whom they set before the apostles, and when they prayed and laid their hands on them, the word, that uh, they designated them as representatives of the church to do this work. And the word of God increased in number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. And I think that you can see, you see the church, the multitude, and, and, and you can see when they prayed that they were looking to the Holy Spirit. Uh, they, were, they were trusting the Holy Spirit to work in this and, and the result of that team working together is that the word of God increases. Now another great example of this teamwork fashion is over in Acts chapter 15. Let's go over there. Acts chapter 15. The uh, the Judaizers had went down to Jerusalem, or he went down to Antioch and said that uh, if you, you have to believe by faith, but you have to also be circumcised to be saved. And so the church at Antioch sends two representatives, Paul and Barnabas there in verse two, back to the church of Jerusalem. And uh, they're going to settle this matter. Let's read in verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about the question and being brought on their way by the church they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. And there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And so I think the first thing I wanted to, to see in this, it talks about them being sent, uh, Paul and Barnabas and the other brethren being sent forth by the church. And then when they get to Jerusalem, they meet with the church. And, and, and this, this, is no, um, this is no convention. This is not the Southern Baptist convention meeting together. This is not the American Baptist Association having an association meeting. 
we have uh, the, we had just recently this the uh, Southern Baptist Convention, a group uh, churches, the Southern Baptist churches would would send representatives to the convention, whether it's being held in Houston or or uh, wherever in uh, different places they meet every year. And, and when they meet together, the, the Southern Baptists, they're going to make recommendations and decisions. And one of the things that Southern Baptists just recently discussed, and I don't know if they ever settled it, but were, whether women should be pastors in the Southern Baptist churches. But this is not, this is not a convention or association meeting of churches. This is one church, Antioch, wanting to know what another church in Jerusalem, what they believed. And this idea that we're going to meet together and as a big group decide where our stand should be is not biblical. A church is autonomous. They're the ones that make the, the decisions. And so, so uh, they, they discuss this matter. And, uh, uh, and you can see in verse 4 that... Um, and when they come together, Jerusalem, they see the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. And so they're, they're going to discuss it. And the apostles and elders, in verse 6, and the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And there was much disputing. And Peter rose up and he talked about how how the gospel had come to the Gentiles and how that salvation is by faith alone. And, but I want you to see an interesting uh, verse. It says in verse 12, Then all the multitude kept silence. We find that it said that the, that the apostles and elders discussed the matter. They seem to be taking the leadership. But verse 12 implies that there was, all of them were talking. All of them were sharing, not in uh, confusion, but all of them had a part. It wasn't like, okay, you guys decide this issue. We don't have anything to do with it. No, the church, all the church was there. They, they were listening to uh, the discussion because it says there in verse 12, then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by faith. And so there was no leader here saying, you know, this is not going to be an open forum. Everybody can't be talking. This is, this is a closed session. There was no leader here saying, if you want to know more about this, come to my office and I'll tell you what you need to know. There was no censoring of any group. It seems clear that, that they, all, they all wanted to know God's will in, in the matter. Uh, there seems to be uh, uh, one presiding officer in verse 13, and after they had all, uh, after they held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. And so, James, it seems if you really look at this, James seems to be the pastor, but you see also here that the, 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 the uh, apostles are here, but they're not, James is not an apostle, but the apostles aren't dictating to James what to do even though they were selected by the Lord. But there is a mouthpiece, and there is someone who is the final one to, to speak uh, for the church. And, and uh, 
it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a team. Uh, and then he says in uh, verse 19, James says, Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from the come we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but we write that they abstain from pollution of idols, from fornication, and from things strangling, and from blood. And so James, when he says he gives his sentence, it doesn't mean that this is the way it's going to be, but this is, he, he said, this is my opinion. Rudy is how, this is what I think. This is how I see it. And when they heard James say that, then they said in verse 22, uh, he said, Then pleased that the apostles and the elders with the whole church. This wasn't just the apostles and elders saying, This is the way it's going to be. You guys that are sitting in the pews or whatever they were sitting on, fall in line and do what we say. No, the whole church is involved there. And then the whole church is in agreement. Then pleased that the apostles and elders with the whole church to send forth chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas and to say what they had said. But, I, but there's a very, I think it's a very uh, amazing statement given in verse 28. It says, For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. These guys had come back and reporting to the church at Antioch, and they said, and it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. What we find here in this issue that's going on is these people want to know God's purpose, God's will. What, what should we do, Lord? And, and, and when it said it, it, seemed, it seemed good unto us in the Holy Ghost that the, some of the things that James said here, you know, uh, the blood and those things, uh, there's not necessarily any New Testament law concerning those things, but it was a letter of the Spirit of God. And that they're wanting to know the Spirit of God, that this... This thing about authority, it's, it's teamwork. And the Holy Spirit's involved in that. The elders and pastors were involved in that leadership. And the church definitely had a say in it. But they're, but they're not competing factions. And so when, we, when you kind of break all this down, you see a pattern that's going on in, in both of these uh, situations, and, and that is that the, uh, the, the problem or the need is presented. And then we find that the matter, the matter is discussed, a discussion, not a dictatorial thing, but a discussion. And then we see that the pastors lead, lead, give recommendations for the deacons, and they give leadership, as we find James. And then you see, you see the congregation. Agreeing. 
which means that they had a say. We, <clears throat> it's a possibility they could disagree. And in the end, when all these work together, the Holy Spirit overseeing all of it, when he's kind of he's kind of in the mix of all of it, in the end, there's harmony. And rejoicing. That's authority. That's that's how church problems should be dealt with. That's how that's how we find authority. Now, there's going to come up, and and as I mentioned a couple of Sundays ago, there's a, there's some situations in amongst independent Baptists on passing the torch. I don't know if you know, I think Pastor mentioned last week that Brother Thomas Smith has just uh, stepped out of the pulpit and a new man has come. But what should be the process in choosing a pastor? What's the precedent? How does an assembly of baptized believers go about carrying out the Lord's work, go about getting an elder or a pastor for their church? Well, let me, let me read for you how the Methodists do this. United Methodist pastors are sent, not called or hired, or itinerary. It refers to specifically to the commitment by pastors to go and serve wherever their bishops send them. Clergy in the United Methodist Church commit to serve where their bishops appoints them. Appointments are typically for one year at a time, though the bishop may move any itinerant pastor at any time. And so the way that the way that uh, the Methodists do it, they have a bishop, they have a number of bishops, but a bishop is over a certain territory, and the bishop selects or appoints, appoints the pastor that you're going to receive. In Fossil, Oregon, there's a Methodist church, and uh, one year, they're, they're without a pastor, and so, I mean, I wasn't living there then, but uh, lo and behold, they get a new pastor, and it's a woman. Some of them liked it, some of them didn't. <laughs> it doesn't matter, the bishop is the one who says. Well, well, of course, there's nothing, that, that there's so much wrong with this. <laughs> Take, uh, we could talk about it all day long. First of all, uh, this word bishop, is the same as a pastor, an elder. It's not a hierarchy. I've heard of some pastors uh, under the guise of Hebrews 13, 17, obey them and have a rule over you. They say, they, they, they have said, uh, 
Nowhere in the Bible do we find sheep choosing their own shepherd. And the recommendation of the outgoing pastor should be obeyed. But no place in the Bible do we have sheep choosing their own shepherd. And so I'm going to choose, and you're going to vote and rubber stamp it because you need to obey those that have the rule over you and submit. Now, the problem with that is that, that it's a half-truth. Like most, like most errors, it's a half-truth. Nowhere in the scriptures do we find the sheep choosing their own shepherd. We'll look in Acts chapter 20. You're in the Acts here. Acts chapter 20. And 28, a verse that we've looked at a number of times. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And so it tells us here clearly it's the Holy Ghost who makes pastors the overseers of the flocks. But um, how is that determined? Any local yokel could come into our church while we were without a pastor and say, I showed up here today to let you people know that God has appointed me overseer of your church. When can I move into the parsonage? And so the congregation is going to have to have some kind of role in this. Particularly make sure that they meet the qualifications, right? Who, who, who has the authority to make sure that the qualifications are met? It's the church. Look over, uh, look over in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. We're going to re choose a replacement for Judas. In verse 15, I'm sorry, Acts 1.15. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said the number of the names together being about 120. So the membership is about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst and his bowels were gushed out. He committed suicide. 
And it was known unto the dwellers in Jerusalem, and so much that I'll fill this in the proper tongue, Asadama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it's written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. And so Peter said, this is what we find in Psalms. We need to replace him. Let another take his bishopric. And then he said, wherefore of these men, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And so Peter said, this is the, this is the person that we need to look for to replace him, one that's been with Jesus from the beginning, one who had been baptized by John the Baptist. And they, they appointed two. Who is the they? Well, it's the church. They appointed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two men thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry in the apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go into his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the seven, eleven apostles. Now, whether that lot was casting votes or putting something like a black rock and a white rock in a container, one of them is for Matthias and the other one for justice, and whosoever rock fell out first became the uh, one that God had chosen, that's a mute point. Uh, The point is this, is that they were involved in choosing two, and they wanted to know what God's will was. Peter could have said, I choose Matthias, he's going to take his place. That didn't happen. But Peter did give leadership. And so I think we have some indication about the process of choosing someone, another person to take a position in a church. Now, also, uh, I've heard, heard it said yet that uh, obey them to have the rule over and submit. I believe this person should be the new pastor. And that some people have said, well, uh, you, you know, I don't feel comfortable about this. I don't have peace about this. And the pastor is saying, well, you don't have to have peace about it. You just need to know that the Bible says obey them that have rule over you. Well, first of all, we've already said that that's not what that verse is saying. But let me, but I want you to go over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And look what verse 17 says. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. It is the responsibility of the membership of the church to try to determine what the Lord's will is. This is not, this is not passing the, this is not like, uh, it's not like the king passing the throne over to his son. 
or to whoever. The, the church is involved in this. And, and, uh, and, and that God has given you, you see, what I'm saying is, God doesn't, when it, when it comes to changing of leadership within a New Testament church, God doesn't just speak to one man and not to the rest of the, rest of the church. There ought to be a peace among the membership. And when it's not, then it's a sign to, we better slow up here a little bit. And we better find out what's going on. Because we want what the Lord wants. Now, go with me over to Acts chapter 14. Very important verse here. Very, very important. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 21. Paul and Barnabas being on their first missionary journey and traveling back home, Acts 14, and let's begin in verse 19. And there came thither certain Jews in Antioch and Iconium, persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, and supposing they had been dead. Howbeit the disciples stood around about him, he rose up and came to the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, and it taught many, they returned again to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. And so they're going back home. And they're going back through the ch- areas where churches had been planted, or at least mission works are planted, that works are being developed. And it says, confirming the souls of the disciples, and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And so they're telling these church plants, keep on keeping on. Stay in the word of God. Continue in the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Understand that you're going to go through tribulation. And then it says, and when they had ordained them elders in every church, and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they had believed, on whom they believed. I think that's very important wording there in the verse 23. Not only ordained, but commended them to the Lord. And so what I see here is that when you look at, when you study the Bible, and you study the idea of church planting and the teaching concerning church planting, You're not ever going to find the word mission work. That this group of people is a mission work. We have the word church. But never in the Bible do you find it saying that Paul and Barnabas are doing a mission work. There's not a distinction between, there's not a word to distinguish a mission work, which we would consider still underneath the authority of the sending church and the word church. But what I do think you can clearly see is that there's the word church and there's churches under authority of the sending church and there's churches that are that are autonomous. 
And I think what we find here, the wording is clear to me, that they went back through there and they organized these churches, commended them to the Lord, it says in verse 23. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Now, here's an important word, the word ordain. In the original language, kairotino, but here's what it means. It doesn't mean anything else but this. This is what it means. Raise your hand to the Lord. Now, did Paul and Barnabas raise, raise their hand to vote? You're just looking at me. No, the group of people there raised their hand to vote. And the ordained elders, they were involved in it. They were seeking the Lord's will. Paul and Barnabas are there as the church planters, establishing these people, and they raised their hand to vote. And again, it wasn't a popularity contest. It was, this is who we believe God has raised up in our church to be our pastors. And so this thing about choosing, choosing a pastor is, um, does not bypass the will of the church. And common sense would rule out the fact that the preacher has the authority to do that because the church has the authority to discipline the preacher. But it should never come to, you know, when we, when we finally settled in our hearts that Pastor Dimlow was to be the one that come here, we, we had some people in mind, a couple of different men. We presented that to the church. We prayed about that, and there came a peace in our heart as a church. In fact, I don't know of any dissension, but there was a peace that this is who the Lord is leading us to, to have. And a vote was made, and the pastor was installed. And so, if the church has the authority to discipline the elders, then, uh, then they're not the final authority. Power struggles revolve around not the question of what should be done, but rather over who should make the decision And there should never be a power struggle in a New Testament church. Because Jesus should always have his way. Doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to have to, doesn't mean that you won't have to discipline some people out of the church. Doesn't mean that you won't have to take a stand against, against doctrinal error. We're, we're instructed to do that. But in matters that affect the tranquility and the direction the church is going, 
the question we should always ask is what does God want? Who does God want? And I think uh, one of the things I want you to see here is that with the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the church and the, and the elders and pastors all having authority, Christ the ultimate authority, it's not a bad thing. And, and, and in fact, when you see here in that verse, it is elders, plural. And I know some of you guys, I, I feel like some of you have not grasped this yet. <clears throat> I heard of a church recently that they voted, they wanted to vote whether they should have plurality of elders. Plurality of elders is not, it's, it's a fact. Do we vote whether we should immerse someone in baptism? No, it's a fact. Plurality of elders is not something to be voted on. It's a, something that we should desire as a church. And what, and, and what it provides, it provides checks and balances. That the church can check and balance. That the, that, that the plurality of elders, you know, that I could say to Pastor Dimlo, are you sure you're thinking about this in the right way? There's a different view that you could have here. There's checks and balances. But in the end, it's the Lord, you know, unto, unto him be glory in the church. That's what it's all about. And whenever we get out of our lane and we try to dictate the will of God to the congregation, then we're out of our lane. Obey them to have the rule over you, What? Well, we're not out of our lane when we say, this is what the Bible says right here. And this is what you need to do right here. And if you do it, it'll be with joy. And if not, it'll be with grief. And you're going you're gonna to reap the consequences for not obeying. Understand what I'm saying? But let me tell you something. I mean, we've kind of been shielded here as a church, but... If you just get out a little bit and you go to some churches and you visit churches and you've been a member of the churches, it don't always work this way. And there's been many pastors to become dictators. And uh, that's a grief to the Lord. But let me, listen, we are a team. As a church, we're a team. And the, and, and the guy who hikes the ball is just as important as the quarterback who flows the ball and the tight end that catches the ball and the guy who only comes in on special teams and holds the football for the kicker to kick it. We're a team. And in 1 Corinthians, it talks about we're a body and all of us are necessary all of us are important. We're a team. And when that team becomes conflicted, you know, when, when my belly says, feed me, 
and my psoriasis on my arm says, don't feed him. <laughs> don't give him that sugar because you're going to suffer for it. And there's a conflict there. <coughs> the body suffers. And so it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to be a part of a church where everybody's seeking the will of the Lord. And I'm afraid that, that this church that I'm thinking about, I'm afraid that there's some things happening that the church is going to split right down the middle, and it's irreparable. God is not for that. He's not for that. And so, authority. It's important. And remember what authority is about. It's to be a blessing. And remember that all authority is delegated. Remember that God holds that person who's been delegated authority accountable. I've been held accountable by God as I pastored and continue to work as a co-pastor here or an associate pastor. I've been held accountable by God for the way that I treat my wife, the authority that I have in my home with my children. I'll be held accountable for that. And so it's a serious thing. It's not something to squander. It's not something to become a dictator over. But uh, it's an issue that's going to come up more and more. There's some churches, uh, I don't know what time it is, there's some churches that believe only the elders should rule in the church. They have a plurality of elders, and the elders make all the decisions. There's just too many times in the Bible of words like, in the saying, please the whole multitude for that to take place. And so, so <laughs> uh, uh, the uh, idea also is, is that you, you cannot shirk your responsibility. You can't shirk it. Well, we're having a business meeting tonight, and it's going to be kind of hairy. I don't think I'll go. No, you can't shirk your responsibility. Okay? All right, enough of that. You got uh, three minutes extra.